Section 31 of Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 13. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Eaton. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 13. Section 31. Village Worthies from Silas Marner by George Eliot. The conversation, which was at a high pitch of animation when Silas approached the door of the rainbow, had as usual been slow and intermittent when the company first assembled. The pipes began to be puffed in a silence which had an air of severity. The more important customers, who drank spirits and sat nearest the fire, staring at each other as if a bet were depending on the first man who winked, while the beer drinkers, chiefly men in fustian jackets and smock frocks, kept their eyelids down and rubbed their hands across their mouths, as if their draughts of beer were a funeral duty attended with embarrassing sadness. At last Mr Snell, the landlord, a man of a neutral disposition, accustomed to stand aloof from human differences as those of beings who were all alike in need of liquor broke silence by saying in a doubtful tone to his cousin the butcher some folks would say that was a fine beast you drove in yesterday bob the butcher a jolly smiling red-haired man was not disposed to answer rashly he gave a few puffs before he spat and replied and they wouldn't be far wrong john after this feeble, delusive thaw, the silence set in as severely as before. Was it a red Durham? said the farrier, taking up the thread of discourse after the lapse of a few minutes. The farrier looked at the landlord, and the landlord looked at the butcher, as the person who must take the responsibility of answering. Red it was, said the butcher, in his good-humoured husky treble, and a Durham it was. "'Then you needn't tell me who you bought it off,' said the farrier, looking round with some triumph. "'I know who it is has got the red Durhams of this countryside, "'and she'd a white star on her brow. I'll bet a penny.' The farrier leaned forward with his hands on his knees as he put this question, and his eyes twinkled knowingly. "'Well, yes, she might,' said the butcher slowly. "'considering that he was giving a decided affirmative. "'I don't say contrary.' "'I knew that very well,' said the farrier, "'throwing himself backward again and speaking defiantly. "'If I don't know Mr Lameter's cows, "'I should like to know who does, that's all. "'And as for the cow you've bought, bargain or no bargain, "'I've been at the drenching of her. "'Contradict me who will.' The farrier looked fierce, and the mild butcher's conversational spirit was roused a little. "'I'm not for contradicting no man,' he said. "'I'm for peace and quietness. "'Some are for cutting long ribs. "'I'm for cutting em short myself. "'But I don't quarrel with em. "'All I say is, it's a lovely carcass, "'and anybody as was reasonable, "'it'd bring tears into their eyes to look at it. "'Well, it's the cow as I drench, whatever it is.' "'pursued the farrier angrily. "'And it was Mr Lameter's cow, "'else you told a lie when you said it was a red Durham. 
I tell no lies, said the butcher, with the same mild huskiness as before, and I contradict none. Not if a man was to swear himself black is no me to mine, nor none of me bargains. All I say is it's a lovely carcass, and what I say I'll stick to, but I'll quarrel with no man. No, said the farrier, with bitter sarcasm, looking at the company generally. And perhaps you aren't pig-headed, and perhaps you didn't say the cow was a red durham, and perhaps you didn't say she'd got a star on her brow. Stick to that, now you're at it. Come, come, said the landlord. Let the cow alone. The truth lies atween you. You're both right and both wrong, as I always say. And as for the cows being Mr. Lammeter's, I say nothing to that, but this I say. As the rainbow's the rainbow, and for the matter of that, if the talk is to be of the Lammeters, you know the most uphold that ed, eh, Mr. Macy? You remember when first Mr. Lammeter's father came into these parts and took the Warrens? Mr. Macy, tailor and parish clerk, the latter of which functions rheumatism had of late obliged him to share with a small-featured young man who sat opposite him, held his white head on one side and twirled his thumbs with an air of complacency, slightly seasoned with criticism. He smiled pityingly in answer to the landlord's appeal and said, Aye, aye, I know, I know, but I'll let other folks talk. I've laid by now and give up to the young uns. Ask them as I've been to school at Tarley. They've learned pronouncing that's come up since my day. If you're pointing at me, Mr Macy, said the deputy clerk, with an air of anxious propriety, I'm no wiser man to speak out of my place, as the psalm says, I know what's right, nor only so, but also practice what I know. Well then, I wish you'd keep hold of the tune when it's set for you. If you're for practising, I wish you'd practise that, said a large, jocose-looking man, an excellent wheelwright in his weekday capacity, but on Sunday's leader of the choir. He winked as he spoke at two of the company, who were known officially as the bassoon and the key bugle. In the confidence that he was expressing the sense of the musical profession in Ravelow, Mr Tucky, the deputy clerk, who shared the unpopularity common to deputies, turned very red, but replied with careful moderation, Mr Winthrop, if you'll bring me any proof as I'm in the wrong, I'm not the man to say I won't alter, but there's people set up their own ears for a standard and expect the whole choir to follow em. There may be two opinions, I hope. Aye, aye, said Mr Macy, who felt very well satisfied with this attack on youthful presumption. You're right there, Tucky. There's always two opinions. There's the opinion a man has of himself, and there's opinion other folks have on him. There'd be two opinions about a cracked bell if the bell could hear itself. Well, Mr Macy said poor Tucky. Serious amidst the general laughter, I undertook to partially fill up the office of parish clerk by Mr Crackenthorpe's desire. Whenever your infirmities should make you unfitting, and it's one of the rights thereof to sing in the choir, else why have you done the same yourself? Ah, 
but the old gentleman and you are two folks, said Ben Winthrop. The old gentleman's got a gift. Why, the squire used to invite him to take a glass, only to hear him sing the Red Rovia. Didn't he, Mr Macy? It's a natural gift. There's my little lad, Aaron. He's got a gift. He can sing a tune off straight like a throstle. But as for you, Master Tucky, you'd better stick to your arm ends. Your voice is well enough when you keep it up in your nose. It's your inside as isn't right made for music. It's no better nor a hollow stalk. This kind of unflinching frankness was the most piquant form of joke to the company at the Rainbow, and Ben Winthrop's insult was felt by everybody to have capped Mr Macy's epigram. I see what it is plain enough, said Mr Tucky, unable to keep cool any longer. There's a conspiracy to turn me out of the choir, as I shouldn't share the Christmas money. That's where it is. But I shall speak to Mr Crackenthorpe. I'll not be put upon by no man. Nay, nay, Tucky, said Ben Winthrop. We'll pay you your share to keep out of it. That's what we'll do. There's things folks would pay to be rid on, besides varmin. Come, come, said the landlord, who felt that paying people for their absence was a principle dangerous to society. A joke's a joke. We're all good friends here, I hope. We must give and take. You're both right and you're both wrong, as I say. I agree with Mr Macy here, as there's two opinions, and if mine was asked, I should say they're both right. Tucky's right and Winthrop's right, and they've only got to split the difference and make themselves even. The farrier was puffing his pipe rather fiercely, in some contempt at this trivial discussion. He had no ear for music himself, and never went to church, as being of the medical profession, and likely to be in requisition for delicate cows. But the butcher, having music in his soul, had listened with a divided desire, for Tucky's defeat, and for the preservation of the peace. To be sure, he said, following up the landlord's conciliatory view. We're fond of our old clerk, it's natural, and him used to be such a singer, and got a brother as is known for the first fiddler in this countryside. Eh, it's a pity but what Solomon lived in our village, and could give us a tune when he liked, eh, Mr Macy? I'd keep him in liver and lights for nothing, that I would. Aye, aye, said Mr Macy, in the height of complacency. Our family's been known for musicianers as far back as anybody can tell, but them things are dying out, as I tell Solomon every time he comes round. There's no voices like what they used to be, and there's nobody's remembers what we remember, if it ain't the old crows. Aye, you remember when first Mr Lammeter's father came into these parts, don't you, Mr Macy? said the landlord. I should think I did, said the old man, who had now gone through that complimentary process necessary to bring him up to the point of narration. And a fine old gentleman he was, as fine and finer nor the Mr Lammeter as now is. He came from a bit northard, so far as I could ever make out, but there's nobody rightly knows about those parts. Only it couldn't be far northard, nor much different from this country, for he brought a fine breed of sheep with him, so there must be pastures there, 
and everything reasonable. We heard tell as he'd sold his own land to come and take the Warrens, and that seemed odd for a man as had land of his own to come and rent a farm in a strange place. But they said it was along of his wife's dying, though there's reasons in things as nobody knows on. That's pretty much what I've made out, though some folks are so wise that they'll find you fifty reasons straight off, and all the while the real reasons winking at him in the corner, and they've never see it. Howsomever, it was soon seen as we'd got a new parishioner, and knowed the rights and customs of things, and kept a good house, and was well looked on by everybody, and the young man, that's the Mr Lameter as now is, for he never a sister, soon begun to court Miss Osgood, that's the sister of the Mr Osgood as now is, and a fine handsome lass she was. Eh, hey, you can't think, they pretend this young lass is like her, but that's the way with people, as don't know what come before em. I should know, for I helped the old rector Mr Drumlow as was, I helped him marry him. Here Mr Macy paused. He always gave his narrative in instalments, expecting to be questioned according to precedent. Aye, and a particular thing happened, didn't it, Mr Macy? So as you were likely to remember that marriage, said the landlord, in a congratulatory tone. I should think they did. A very particular thing, said Mr Macy, nodding sideways. For Mr Drumlow, poor old gentleman, I was fond on him though. He'd got a bit confused in his head, what we age, and we'd taken a drop of some at warm when the service come of a cold morning. And young Mr Lameter, he'd have no way but he must be married in January, which to be sure's an unreasonable time to be married in. For it isn't like a christening or a burying, as you can't help. And so Mr Drumlow, poor old gentleman, I was fond on him. But when he came to put the questions, he put em by the rule of contrary like, and he says, Wilt thou have this man to thy wedded wife? says he. And then he says, Wilt thou have this woman to thy wedded husband? says he. But the particularest thing of all, as nobody took any notice on it but me, and they answered straight off, Yes, like as if it had been me saying, Amen in the right place, without listening to what went before. But you knew what was going on well enough, didn't you, Mr Macy? You were live enough, eh? said the butcher. Law bless you, said Mr Macy, pausing and smiling in pity at the impotence of his hearer's imagination. Why, I was all of a tremble. It was as if I'd been a coat pulled by the two tails like, for I couldn't stop the parson. I couldn't take upon me to do that. And yet I said to myself, I says, suppose they shouldn't be fast married, cause the words are contrary. And me head went working like a mill, for I was always uncommon for turning things over and seeing all round em. And I says to myself, it's the meaning all the words as make folks fast to wedlock. For the parson meant right, and the bride and bridegroom meant right. But then, when I come to think on it, meaning goes but a little way in most things. For you may mean to stick things together and your glue may be bad. And then where are you? And so I says to me sen, it isn't the meaning, it's the glue. And I was worried and if I got three bells to pull at once when we got into the vestry and they begun to sign the names. 
But where's the use of talking? You can't think what goes on in a cute man's inside. But you held it in for all that, didn't you, Mr Macy? said the landlord. Aye, I held him tight till I was by me sen, with Mr Drumlow, and then I out with everything. But respectful as I always did. And he made light on it, and he says, Poo, poo, Macy. Make yourself easy, he says. It's neither the meaning nor the words. It's the register does it. That's the glue. So you see, he settled it easy. For parsons and doctors know everything by art like. So as they aren't worried with thinking, what's the rights and wrongs of things? As in being many and many's the time. And sure enough, the wedding turned out all night. Only poor Mrs Lameter, that's Miss Osgood as was, died afore the lasses were growed up. But for prosperity and everything respectable, there's no family more looked on. Every one of Mr Macy's audience had heard this story many times, but it was listened to as if it had been a favourite tune, and at certain points the puffing of the pipes was momentarily suspended, that the listeners might give their whole minds to the expected words. But there was more to come, and Mr Snell, the landlord, duly put the leading question. Why, old Mr Lameter had a pretty fortin, didn't they say, when he come into these parts? Well, yes, said Mr Macy, but I dare say it's as much as this Mr Lameter's done to keep it all. Why, there's stables four times as big as Squire Cass's, for he thought of nothing but osses and hunting. Cliff didn't, a Lunnon tailor, some folks said, as had gone mad with cheating, for he couldn't ride. Law bless you, they said he'd got no more grip of the hoss than if his legs had been cross sticks. My grandfather heard old Squire Cass say so many and many a time. But ride he would, as if old Harry had been a-driving him, and he'd a son, a lad of sixteen, and nothing would his father have him do, but he must ride and ride, though the lad was frightened, they said, and it was a common saying, as the father wanted to ride the tailor out of the lad, and make a gentleman on him. Not but what I'm a tailor myself, but in respect as God made me such, I'm proud on it, for Macy, tailors, being wrote up over our door, since afore the Queen's head went out on the shillings. But Cliff, he was ashamed of being called a tailor, and he was so vexed as his riding was laughed at, and nobody of the gentlefolks here, and nobody of the gentlefolks hereabout could abide him. Howsomever, the poor lad got sickly and died, and the father didn't live long after him, for he got queer and nerever, and they said he used to go out i the dead o' night wi' a lantern in his hand to the stables and set a lot o' lights burning, for he got as he couldn't sleep, and there he'd stand cracking his whip and looking at his osses, and they said it was a mercy as the stables didn't get burned down with the poor dumb creatures in em. But at last he died raving, and they found as he'd left all his property, Warrens and all, to a Lunnon charity, and that's how the Warrens came to be charity land. Though as for the stables, Mr Lameter never uses em. They're out o' all character, law bless you. If you was to set the doors a-banging in em, It'd sound like thunder half over the parish. Aye, but there's more going on in the stables than what folks see by daylight, eh, Mr Macy? 
said the landlord. Aye, aye, go that way of a dark night, that's all, said Mr. Macy, winking mysteriously. And then make believe, if you like, as you didn't see lights in the stables, nor hear the stamping of the osses, nor the cracking of the whips, and the howling too. If it's toward daybreak, Cliff's holiday has been the name of it ever since I were a boy. That's to say, some said, as it was the holiday old Harry giving from roasting like. That's what my father told me, and he was a reasonable man. Though there's folks nowadays know what happened afore they were born, better know they know their own business. What do you say to that, eh, Dowless? said the landlord, turning to the farrier, who was swelling with impatience for his cue. Here's a nut for you to crack. Mr. Dowless was the negative spirit in the company and was proud of his position. Say, I say what a man should say as he doesn't shut his eyes to look at a finger post. I say as I'm ready to wager any man ten pound if he'll stand out with me any dry night in the pasture before the Warren stables as we shall neither see lights nor hear noises if it isn't the blowing of our own noses. That's what I say and I've said it many a time. But there's nobody'll venture a ten-pun note on the goshes and they make so sure of. Why, Dowless, that's easy betting, that is, said Ben Winthrop. You might as well bet a man as he wouldn't catch the rheumatise if he stood up to its neck in pool of a frosty night. It'd be fine fun for a man to win his bet as he'd catch the rheumatise. Folks as believe in Cliff Soliday aren't a going to venture near it for a matter of ten pound. If Master Dowless wants to know the truth on it, said Mr Macy, with a sarcastic smile, tapping his thumbs together, he's no call to lay any bet. Let him go and stand by himself. There's nobody'll hinder him, and then he can let the parishioners know if they're wrong. Thank you. I'm obliged to you, said the farrier with a snort of scorn. If folks are fools, it's no business of mine. I don't want to make out the truth about Gorshes. I know it already. But I'm not against a bet. Everything fair and open. Let any man bet me ten pound, as I shall see Cliff Solidy, and I'll go and stand by myself. I want no company. I'd as lift do it as I'd fill this pipe. Ah, but who's to watch you, Dowless, and see you do it? That's no fair bet said the butcher. No fair bet, replied Mr. Dowless angrily. I should like to hear any man stand up and say I want to bet unfair. Come now, Master Lundy, I should like to hear you say it. Very like you would, said the butcher, but it's no business of mine. You're none of my bargains, and I aren't a going to try and bait your price. If anybody'll bid you at your own valleying, let him. I'm for peace and quietness, I am. Yes, that's what every yapping cur is, when you hold a stick up at him, said the farrier. But I'm afraid of neither man nor ghost, and I'm ready to lay a fair bet. I ain't a turn-tell cur. Aye, but there's this in it, Dowless, said the landlord, speaking in a tone of much candour and tolerance. There's folk, in my opinion, they can't see gorses, not if they stood as plain as a pike staff before em. And there's reason o' that, for there's me wife now can't smell, 
not if she'd the strongest of cheese under her nose. I never seed a ghost myself, but then I says to myself, very like I haven't got the smell for him. I mean, putting a ghost for a smell, or else contrary ways. And so I'm for holding me both sides, for as I say, the truth lies between em. And if Dowless was to go and stand, and said never seen a wink of Cliff Solidies, all the night through, I'd back him. And if anybody said, as Cliff Solody was certain sure for all that, I'd back him too, for the smell's what I go by. The landlord's analogical argument was not well received by the farrier, a man intensely opposed to compromise. Tut, tut, he said, setting down his glass with refreshed irritation. What's the smell got to do with it? Did ever a ghost give a man a black eye? That's what I should like to know. If ghosts want me to believe in em, let em leave off skulking in the dark and in lone places. Let em come where there's company and candles. As if ghosts had want to be believed in by anybody so ignorant, said Mr Macy. In deep disgust at the farrier's crass incompetence to apprehend the conditions of ghostly phenomena. End of section 31